Mark chapter 12. We've been doing a series we're calling The Cliffhangers of Christ, where we attempt to insert ourselves into the many times Jesus, in the narratives in the gospel, leaves people sort of in the lurch, sort of leaving them on the cliff, so to speak, saying things and then not really giving us any conclusion. And this happens repeatedly in the Gospels, and we've seen a number of them already, uh, leaving us wondering at times if this is us. I hope this, is, this will be the case this morning as I invite you to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34, and we'll sort of bring the context uh, into play as we go. But Mark chapter 12, again, beginning in verse 28, where it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to Jesus, you are right, teacher. You have truly said he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart And with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. The other day, a dear, sweet lady, not a member of our church, but she came, she set up an appointment to come and visit with me. And as we sat and talked, she shared her story with me. Her heart was heavy, and her life, as she had just been told, was not long for this world, and in fact, She was dying, she is dying, and will be gone within the next couple of months, if she lives that long. She wondered if I would do her funeral. So, I asked her to tell me her story, and she did. Now, what if I had said to her, after she had shared her story, what if I had looked at her and said, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Give me a call a couple weeks before you check out of here, will you? You know, you would think me completely unraveled. What kind of talk is this? Where is the hope in that? The man in our story, Jesus left hanging. Not as to where his funeral would be, where where he would end up in eternity. 
Would he be in the kingdom? Would he not be in the kingdom? I'm reminded of that, of uh, what I share oftentimes right there at the graveside. Some of you have been there for some of the funerals I've done over the years. I share with people that little gravestone in England that says, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Some guy walking by that graveyard one day looked down and saw that. He was startled by it, took out a piece of paper and wrote down, to follow you is not by intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) We don't know which way this guy is going, but it doesn't look good. It does look like he's morphing in one direction, though, doesn't it? In this passage, Jesus, in the greater context, Jesus, after literally dismantling the religious hypocrites one after another, within a couple of hours of one another, he encounters a scribe who, unlike the others, and much more like Nicodemus, who we saw a month or two ago, is sincerely seeking the truth. The baggage of Pharisaism is still there, but it's sort of lopping off. He's starting to get it. There's still some there that he's hanging on to. And to this man, Jesus gives these remarkable words, both to him and to us. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Eugene Peterson's message Bible puts it like this. You're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. And with that, the conversation ends. He's left on the cliff, so to speak. We are left hanging. Was he saved? Obviously not. Would he be saved? We have absolutely no way of knowing until the kingdom becomes an eternal reality for us. Sometimes people come to me and they'll say things like, well, what about the heathen? Do you think, you know, that they've never heard the gospel, do you think they'll be saved? And I'll look at them and I'll say, what about you? You've heard the gospel. In this story... God would have you and I insert ourselves into the life of this seemingly sincere scribe. How far are we? How far are you right now from the kingdom of God? The scribe in our story stands in contrast to those that Jesus was taking on, again, literally within hours, moments of one another. We've already incurred, we've already come up on one of these cliffhangers back at the end of chapter 11. Remember the guy, you know, those who come to Jesus, they meet him in the temple. They ask him questions by what authority he was doing these things. Remember, this was the message we talked just a couple weeks ago about. He says, oh, I got a question for you. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Mm, That's a tough one. We can't answer. We don't know. And Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to tell you. What authority I do things. We saw in the text that he, his authority was the word of God in his life. And we said in those days, and it's still true today, nothing is so powerful, so useful to God, 
than the authority of his word and a life to back it up. That encounter probably took place at least within an hour of the one we're talking about right now. And he just flame-torching these guys one after another. In fact, uh, moments earlier, back in verse 13, if you go to verse 13 in chapter 12, you've got the Pharisees and the Herodians come, and it tells us right there they came with the intention of trapping him. So we know they're disingenuous right out of the chute. And they, and they come and with flattery. Teacher, you know, we know that you're true and you don't care about anybody else's opinion. You're not swayed by appearances, but you teach the way of God. How flattering. And Jesus cuts right through their hypocrisies. Why do you put me to the test? And then he challenges them and leaves them completely befuddled. Well, they leave and... In their train comes the Sadducees, who our text in verse 18 tells us right away, in case you don't know, the Sadducees, they were the liberals of the day. They don't even believe in most of the Bible, and they certainly don't believe in angels, they don't believe in demons, they don't believe in miracles, and they don't believe in the resurrection. And so what do they come to Jesus about? The resurrection. And they, you know, they, they contrive this cockamamie story And what if, and what if, and what if, you know, this woman has this husband and this husband, all these husbands, which one's going to be your husband in the resurrection? To which Jesus responds, you're an heir, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. He just flattens them with that. And so he's just dealing with them one after another. And then in verse 28, there is one scribe who has been watching all of this take place in the temple precincts. And while the Pharisees and the Herodians were clearly trying to get Jesus to, be, to look like an insurrectionist, remember, you know, this, you know, is it, you know should we pay taxes? You know, we're, they're trying to get him to side with God or the government. And the Sadducees were trying to create a conundrum out of the resurrection. This guy asked a legitimate question, one that he has apparently been pondering. You know, what's the greatest commandment? He's a scribe. Some of your Bibles will call the scribes experts in the law because that's exactly what they were. They knew the Old Testament better than anybody. And this particular scribe, he knew there were over, there was the Ten Commandments and there there was this unpacking of laws that came out of that in addition to 600 plus commandments. So he's, he's really thinking about this and he's wondering, okay, what's the, what's the greatest one? Help me out on this. What's the numero uno? And Jesus responds, I would think that this guy would be bracing himself, wouldn't you? I mean, after Jesus just flame torches one group after another, revealing their disingenuous spirits and their outright hypocrisy, I would think this guy would just be bracing himself to be just hammered by Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. And the reason is because he's the ultimate inside man. He knows what's going on in the, in the scribe's heart, just like he knows what's going on in yours. Just like he knows what's going on. He, can, he perfectly interprets us, which is very nice, isn't it? He perfectly interprets us, and he perfectly interprets this man. I love it when people ask sincere questions. Questions, almost every week I get 
emails and Facebook messages from people. I love it. They ask questions from their Bible studies. But every once in a while, and over the years, I'll be approached by people. It's very, it's just evident that they're being disingenuous with their question. It's a setup. Like the guy I told you about years ago who, who was actually a pastor. And he, we had a long, protracted argument on the, on the doctrine of the security of the believer. He didn't believe in it. He believed people could lose their salvation. I, I taught that if it was genuine, I saw the, the scripture teaching you can't lose your salvation. Back and forth we went. Some time went by, and then I got this lengthy letter asking me about, he listed several passages that were controversial. And with that, he said, I'm just wondering, what is your take on these? I'd had enough of him. So I wrote him a little postcard. I said, thank you very much for your letter. My answer is found in Acts 13.10, and I signed my name, which says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, How much longer will you pervert the right ways of God? I was done with him. This man's question is sincere, and Jesus sees it as such. And Jesus' answer to the question, which is the greatest commandment, is is a sort of synergy of love flowing through every aspect of one's makeup and overflowing to every person that we encounter. Or to put it differently, his answer is to love God with every fiber of your being and love people with every opportunity you're given. Of course, none of us are able to... Can anybody do that perfectly? Just let me... Anybody here able to do that perfectly? Okay, good. Just making sure. This is surely... The measuring stick that Paul had in mind when he said, all have sinned and come what? Short of the glory of God. We cannot perfectly love God, let alone our neighbor. But that is the greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. And so, the scribe sees the wisdom of Jesus' statement. And he sees the importance and the differentiation between all of these laws that he was the expert in and the heartthrob of them. In fact, look at verse 33 again. He says, teacher, I'm sorry, he says, and and to love him, to love God with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This was an amazing statement. They're in the temple. That's what's happening there. Whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And it was his lot, it was his group, the scribes, the Pharisees. They held these things in the highest esteem. And here is one of them saying, you are absolutely right, Jesus. More important than all of the things that are going around all around us right here is loving God. It's more important than even whole burnt offerings. And to that, Jesus responds with these intriguing words. You... You've answered well. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is synonymous with salvation. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1 that if we're in Christ, God has transferred us, translated us from 
the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So there's two different kingdoms there, right? And all of us here are either in one or the other. Some of you are far from the kingdom of God, and some of you are near, like this guy. But you're not in it. We've already seen in an earlier message that you must be born again in order to what? See the kingdom of God. So, but before that born again, before that epic moment, before that transfer from the domain of darkness into the domain of the Son of God, there, before that crossover moment, there is an approach, shall we say. A period of time that you begin to count the cost. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're somewhere in between. There is a moment where we have to count the cost. What if I don't do this? What if I don't place my faith in what Christ has done for me? And some of you are right there right now. You're in that cost-counting mode. I had a man I've been meeting with just the other day. Share with me, he said, He said, Pat, I've had the Bible waved in front of me all of my life. I've heard this message all of my life. But I'm only now realizing I don't even know what it means to have faith. I don't know what it means to believe. He's been in a church just like this one all of his life. He's not a Christian. It's starting to dawn on him. He's not far from the kingdom of God. I have a pastor friend who pastors in a church in another state. A church with doctrine identical to this one. A church the size almost identical to this one. Except that the age is much, much older. And you know what he said to me recently? He said, said, Pat, I think half my congregation is unconverted. That's an amazing statement to make. Half my congregation is unconverted. Now, he can't see their hearts, but he is their pastor. He has moved amongst them. When we went to Israel a few years ago, I climbed Masada, that great, huge mountain in the desert near the Dead Sea. The rest of our group were a bunch of wimps, and they went up the uh, cable car. I went up with my friend Tom, he's here, he doesn't know I'm going to share this, but uh, we knew it was a long trip, and we knew it was hot, it was really hot, we didn't realize how hot it was, and we didn't bring enough water, and so we start out, and quite frankly, Tom's not looking good, I'm just telling you, we stopped to finish the water that we had, wondering how close we were to the top. Again, not having any idea, because you can't see it from there. It's like straight up. And here comes this woman bounding down the path, and she sees us, and she looks at us, and she goes, are you guys okay? Obviously looking at Tom, who wasn't looking good at the time. And before we can even answer, she's kind of trotting off into the distance and she says, you guys got a long ways to go. When it comes to the kingdom of God, some of you think you're there. 
You think you're in the kingdom. But the reality of it is, you are far, far away from it. Some of you are near. But whether you're near or far, you're not in. And the result is the same. Being cast out. You're far from God when, number one, your lips and your hearts don't match up. Jesus said to these same people, these people draw near me with their lips, they honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far, far. Same word. They're far from me. When our lips don't match up with our hearts, we are described as being far from God. And your age has nothing to do with it. Did you hear what I just said? Your age has absolutely nothing to do with it. In fact, if you are older, it becomes harder because you become harder and your hearts become harder. That's why Spurgeon said, many black hearts lie under gray heads. When your lips and your hearts don't match up, that's, that means you're far from God. When your life reveals that the only person that really matters is you, you are far from God. That was the rich man. Remember the rich man Jesus talked about in Luke 13, absolutely self-absorbed. He can't even see the poor man who would just take a couple of crumbs from his table. And he dies. He dies in his sins. And if you're familiar with the story, the next scene is horrific. It's all about the doctrine of hell and the eternality of it all and the fact that there's a great gulf fix. And it's very interesting to me that when he does see, when he does see the man he wouldn't see in life, he does see him Quote, far off. When your life reveals the only person that really matters is you, you are far, far from God. And then when you're relying on something you've done or you're doing to get you to heaven, you are far from God. And this is a subtle thing, especially to evangelicals who who think that, well, yes, but I prayed the prayer. I prayed that. When I hear that, sometimes, are you trusting your prayer? What is that all about? You trust the act of unbelief, and you might say, well, where does it say that that doesn't make it? Well, John chapter 2. Very clearly, John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says that many who saw the miracles that Jesus was doing believed in him. But the next verse says, Jesus would not believe in them because he knew what was in all men and did not need man to tell him. If you're trusting the act of trusting, that doesn't save you, let alone your good works. And this is going to be the reason why Jesus purposely uses the word many in the most daunting passage in all of Scripture when he says, Many will come to me in that day, the day of judgment, and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? 
Have we not done many wonders? Have we not done miracles? Have we not done all kinds of stuff in your name? As a plead. That somehow this is the, this is the unpacking. This is the evidence that I'm, I'm yours. And, and to that Jesus says, depart from me, me. I never knew you. In fact, he sees us as lawless when we're trusting anything in ourselves. And then when your life is just flat out dominated by sin and you have no victory to speak of whatsoever, then just mark it down. You are not in the kingdom of God. Much as you might think you are. It isn't praying prayers. Because if anyone's in Christ, they're a, they're a new creation. It doesn't mean they got apples and oranges coming out of their ears right away. It does mean they've been changed, fundamentally changed. Your heart has been changed. And I absolutely do not want to stand before the living God as I know I will someday to give an account of my ministry. To have him say, why didn't you make it a little clearer? This is the reason why Paul said, don't you know that the unrighteous will not enter the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators or adulterers or thieves or homosexuals or sodomites or revilers or drunkards. And the list goes on, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified by the Spirit of God. Have you ever read that? If your life is dominated by sin, you are far from God. You know, one of the most disheartening moments for me as a father took place about four years ago, and I got his permission to share this, so. I took my son, John, my youngest, uh, out for coffee. He, had, he was the most compliant kid we ever had. Never gave us a problem. Just sort of, half the time, nobody even knew he was there. In fact, I literally left him at a Hardee's one day. I had to drive back and get him. It was a long time ago. He was like two years old. Got back, opened the door. He wasn't there. I asked his brother, where's John? His brother went like this. Nobody else. I got six, I got six other kids in the car. And they don't know their little brother isn't there. He was playing in the balls at a Hardee's. Why did I put that in there? I wasn't even in my notes. I'm just saying, you just... Sort of went on his life. He just, nobody even knew he was around. Prayed some prayer when he was in junior boys camp. And by the time he was in early years of, uh, actually he was middle school years, his life was, was demonstrating that he was far from God. And I, sat down with him at a Starbucks one day and we were just talking about things and he clearly didn't want to be there. And I just was trying like crazy just to be a dad to him. And I said, son, I mean, truly, are are you a Christian? And he defended himself voraciously. I am a Christian, dad, I am. I'm just... And I quote, because I asked him the other day, you remember what you said? He said, yeah, I remember, Dad. I said, what did you say? I said, I was far from God. 
and he was. Shortly after that, he would demonstrate just how far away he was. He was far from God. But he wasn't willing to admit that he was foreign to God by way of salvation. Indeed, an enemy of God. Some of you are not like that. You don't, you're not far, far away from God in the sense of your life. It's not dominated by sin necessarily. You might even do good things. You're more like this scribe. You're more like this guy. You're open, you're approaching, you're contemplating, you're counting the cost. In your head, it's all starting to make perfect sense. You're sort of on that approach, you're on that threshold. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're like Claire Olson. Have you met her yet? She went up to camp last week and gave her testimony. Her husband Bryce came to Christ about a year ago. But she took a whole year, a whole year of sermons, a whole year of Bible study, a whole year of one encounter after another. In fact, another son of mine bumped into her at that same coffee shop and she talked to him. She goes, you look like your dad. And we went back and forth and he goes, well, so when did you become, oh, I'm not a Christian. Well, why aren't you a Christian? I don't know why I'm not a Christian. But she was contemplating it the whole time until just about a month or so ago, and it's, it just all made sense. And she said, I believe, and she was changed. And she entered the kingdom of God. Would you? Will you? Listen carefully to these last few words. If you die not far from the kingdom of God, then you will exist far from it. And you will be left forever, forever knowing, I was so close. Why didn't I truly believe? Paul writes in the the book of Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And watch this. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. Why? Because we both need it, that's why. Look at that. The gospel message is for those who are far away from God, like some of you are. But it's also some of you who are right on the brink of eternity, and you've been thinking about it, and you've been contemplating it, and you've been counting the cost, and you're not there. It's both for those of you who are far away from God, And for you who are near. Listen, salvation isn't like playing horseshoes for crying out loud. You know, you got close enough, score. No. About a year ago, our son, realizing that while he was near in his mind, his life dominated by sin, he was far, far from God. And within a matter of a couple of weeks, we just saw, like, radical changes taking place in his life. And I said, John, what's going on? What happened? He goes, well, I got saved, Dad. His heart was changed. 
God had brought him to a true surrender to Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, kurios, he's in charge. We're not just punching a ticket here. And believe in your heart, because that's where it has to take place. That God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And then the capacity comes with it to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That divine synergy comes in, and all that stuff can happen. And then you can start to love people, too, that you encounter. And it's not all about yourself. It's not all about your future. It's not all about your life, all your livelihood, your personal pleasures. Because when God saves, he saves. He delivers us from all of that. Some of you are far from God. Some of you are near to the kingdom of God. All of you in either one of those categories need to be saved. If you're not far from the kingdom of God, why don't you just cross over today? Why don't you just surrender your heart to Jesus Christ? You might be an older individual here. And you've been a part of this church or some other church for many, many years, but you're far from God. And your heart knows it. Your heart won't lie. Yeah, your heart will deceive you, but somewhere in the inner recesses, you know you are not God's. Would you just humble yourself right now? Repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. And cross over from death unto life. And for those of you who would say, I absolutely have crossed over and my life has been changed, then just rejoice.